Amen. All right, good morning, everybody. First, uh, we like to get a few announcements in front of you before we get into the Word of God. And I'll first say, um, there's uh, metal seats in the front that you're allowed to sit in, okay? There's also ropes in the back that you're not supposed to hop over, okay? So we didn't create an obstacle course for you, okay? We also don't want to get sued, okay? And so those two things combined means... Just don't do it and come sit up here. Unless you have a good excuse, you come up to me, i got a back problem, i got to sit in a red chair. That's fine. There's one right there. So, boom. All right? Just kidding, Gary. Love you, buddy. Okay? Anyway, uh, announcements. Only got one for you today. Uh, how many people, I'm going to ask, we just have, we're doing a Christmas Eve service again this year. We did one last year, um, and we did it at 11 p.m. Okay? We thought to ourselves, you know what? We're that holy and we're that spiritual that we're going to blow out candles at exactly midnight on Christmas Day to remember Christ's birth. And so me and six other people did that, okay? <laughs> and four of them were staff members, okay? So, I mean, it was like, like Haley Fox, Haley and Ethan were there. I mean, it was just, and then some friends from out of town. I mean, like, there was no one there. So now we're doing it at 4 p.m., Okay? 4 p.m., that is seven hours earlier, for those of you who aren't good at math. Okay, so 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve. And so uh, I just want to say this, and a lot of you guys realize this, uh, Christmas Eve is kind of one of the two days of the year where for whatever reason people will show up to church, okay? Like, they'll fight it for the other 50 weeks of the year, but something happens in the brain of someone who doesn't go to church that those two days, and we, we call them creasters, right? Those creasters are like, ah, it's Christmas Eve, I'm going to go to church. And so uh, we need to be on our game inviting people and asking people to come and hear the gospel story. And so it's going to be a shorter service. We'll be done by 5 o'clock, get you guys home. You can do dinner or whatever you guys do on Christmas Eve. There's going to be a lot of singing and a lot of scripture. Uh, just kind of spend a lot of time hearing from the Word of God and the, gospel, or the Christmas story and then singing really, really good songs. Okay, so Christmas Eve, 4 p.m., uh, be there for that. Okay, um, if you guys need a Bible, raise your hand. We give out Bibles here. If you don't own one, this is our free Bible to you. Go ahead, keep, come on. Everybody has a Bible? Liars. Okay. Well, turn the Bibles that you do have to, where do we want to start? Let's start with Mark chapter 13. Okay, Mark 13. And as you're turning there, let me just say where we're at. This is week four of our Advent series, the last Sunday that we'll be preaching through this. And we've been saying that Advent simply means coming, right? The coming of Jesus, that Jesus came once before, and that's what we kind of celebrate that happened almost 2,000 plus years ago. Actually, a little bit, yeah, wait, yeah, 2,000 plus years ago he came, and then now we find ourselves sitting in between his first coming and the promised second coming. And so we spent this entire series talking about the reality of this story that's been created. That in the beginning of time, all the way back in Genesis, God creates this world, perfect, we sin, there's brokenness, and God inaugurates, begins, employs this uh, rescue strategy to win men and win creation back to himself. Okay, the first big piece of this happens when Jesus arrives in the first advent, when he first comes on earth. Okay, and, he, and he says this in Mark chapter 14, which let me, or Mark chapter 1 rather, and we said this in the first week. He said, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus' first proclamation to the world 
in his ministry was, listen, the kingdom of God is here now because I'm here. I'm the king. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this was his inauguration of his ministry. Then he lives the life, the perfect life, the life we all wish we could, but we sin, we, we break the law. We, and so he lives the life we couldn't live. He goes to a cross and dies a death that we deserve because of our own sin and then raises on the third day, ascends to heaven and promises, hey, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Okay, I, this is not it. It's not over. This isn't all that is to be done. I'm coming back for you, for creation. This is going to happen. And we're going to look at some of the things that he said about this as we get started. So Jesus on his return, Mark 13, 24 through 27 but in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Further down in 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. Luke twenty one twenty eight says this. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Four times in the book of Revelation we see him say, I'm coming soon. Okay? I'm coming soon. This is impending. This is here. This is near. Now if you're reading this and you're an early church believer... Okay, and you're living in the persecution that they're experiencing at the time that Revelation is being written, you cannot wait for this to be true. Jesus saying, I'm coming soon, is great news for you. Well, hopefully, I think, what, and this is what I got out of it, hopefully you did too, if you were here last week, Anthony gave us all of this scripture and robust theology around how are we to expect and have an eager anticipation for when Jesus comes back because I think the reality is for us is that we don't really think about it all that much okay and Nate is bringing it in kids ministry right now isn't he that is just awesome good job Nate um I think what the reality is, is, is we see the people here in Revelation okay you're coming soon fantastic because my life is terrible but like at any moment, I'm going to walk out the door and someone's going to arrest me, take me away, I'll be persecuted, i got friends dying. This was the reality for those living at the time. For us, we live with freedom. We don't have that type of persecution. And so this, I'm coming soon, doesn't become as great of news, I think, for us. It, it, it's, I mean, it's good, we're excited about what's to come, but, but I, think it, I think we miss that eager expectation, anticipation that the early church had, simply because we live in a culture where man, we, it's, it's just a little bit easier for us to be Christians. But the climate, man, that thing is just going, I don't even, <laughs> it's just, is he usually that loud? What is, and I just can't hear it up here? All right. <laughs> Should we just start singing with him? You guys want to do that? On three. No, I'm kidding, we're not going to do that. Okay. This is the route I think that we live in. And this is the tension that we find ourselves in today as we're going to talk about the culmination of all history. Right? We're going to talk about Revelation 21 and 22. We're going to talk about Isaiah 60. We're going to talk about Isaiah 11. We're going to talk about all these prophecies from the Old Testament and the fulfillment in the New Testament that speak about this great and glorious new heaven and new earth that we are headed towards if we know Christ. Okay, we're going to get there. 
But there's been so many misconceptions about what heaven is and what it looks like. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take kind of the American version of heaven and we're going to contrast that with the biblical version of heaven. Because I think even a lot of us sitting in the room today still have a very kind of Americanized, cultural understanding of what heaven will be like. And, I, and here's the thing. I think it's that reality. I think it's believing in the heaven that the culture has sold us that doesn't make us all that excited. It doesn't have a robust understanding of what it's going to do for all of creation. And so why will we anticipate it all that much? Okay. Now, a word on expectation. Okay. Um, here's the truth about expectation. Um, oftentimes, you're going to get let down. And life has kind of just proven that. Okay. That if you expect too much, oftentimes the reality is going to come in somewhere around here. And then usually pain or sadness or discomfort or something exists in the reality between expectation and reality. Okay? And so expectations are tough for us. We don't want to hope too much because if we hope too much and we get let down like we're used to, then it's all the more devastating. Okay? It's all the more devastating for us. What we look at in Scripture, I, I cannot affirm this enough, what we will talk about today is really going to happen as it says. And I think we read kind of these thoughts and these passages about this new heaven and this new earth and all of these things that are about to happen. We read about how there will be no tear, no pain, no crying, and, and they sound like great ideas, but in a world so filled with brokenness, we don't have a concept of what that looks like. So I want us to kind of step in and push forward and really grasp onto the reality of what Christ is promising will happen when he comes back. Because it's going to shape everything we do now. It's going to shape our expectation. Another thing about expectation is oftentimes the things we expect are just, they're not right. So it's not that they just let us down. We just have wrong expectations. They're not too high, they're just wrong. And we'll address that to you. So this, uh, this last week, Verity and I, we went to North Carolina to visit family for Christmas. And, and here's the reality about Christmas vacations, okay? They're just not vacations. Because you show up at the airport and there's 77,000 other screaming idiots that decided this was a good time to travel, okay? And they're all this pissed off. Man, I, you know what? I need to apologize. I keep using that word up here and I keep getting yelled at. So I'm never going to say that again. I'm sorry. Anyway, I shouldn't have drawn attention to it. Um, all the other people are very upset while they're there because they're frustrated too and they're trying to deal with the ticketing agent who's mad at them and I am terrible at this type of stuff. When I see injustice happen around me in regards to something, I just, I just pop a lid. Verity's just cowering in the corner because I'm yelling at someone about the injustice of not you know, giving me the right seat number or something. Traveling during the holidays is just the worst. But every single year... I look forward to it. Every single year, it's like, man, I, I just can't wait till we get to that Christmas vacation. We get a getaway. Everything will slow down. We'll just reflect on the year. We'll look forward to 2015. Everything will be fantastic. And it just does not happen. So we're in North Carolina, and I am blessed with in-laws that I love. And I'm not just saying that because I listen to the podcast, but I'm really blessed with in-laws that I love. And so we went and saw them. But they have a cat and I'm allergic to cats. 
And so for the first about three days, I just could not breathe. And so I had to go to the doctor, and they gave me an inhaler, and it was this whole deal. Colors the entire trip, right? And I'm thinking rest, I'm thinking relaxation. I'm like, okay, fine. Good week, we have a fantastic day on Monday, restful, ready to go home, recharged, rejuvenated. And then Tuesday comes around, and our flight's delayed. And then we miss our connection in Charlotte. And then the agent says, oh, we can't give you a hotel because it's not our fault. And then I scream, and then we get a hotel. Okay? And I get home finally on Wednesday, saying to myself, all I really need right now is what? A vacation. <laughs> I need a vacation for my vacation. So all of these expectations tied in with Christmas. We were just out there, and, and, and uh, a buddy of mine, Don, who's a pastor out there, was talking about a similar thing, and he started running through some different Christmas movies. And I thought about them too, and I thought, man, it's so true. It's over every Christmas, Christmas movie you see, right? You have, uh, you have the Griswolds, right? He's like, all right, I'm going to get this fantastic bonus. We're going to buy a pool. Instead, they get a Fruit of the Month club, right? right? We're going to do all of these great things, and then it falls short. We're going to have this great family vacation and then Cousin Eddie shows up, right? Terrible stuff. I'm going to get a, you go to a Christmas story. I'm going to get a new Red Rider BB gun and then he shoots his eye out. I mean, everything is terrible about Christmas. But we look forward to it every year. We put so much hope in the season, right? So many of you started listening to Christmas music in August. Mallory. Much to the chagrin of other people like Zach. Okay. We look forward to the season because there's so much hope tied in with this season. But it is a hope that is based not in Christ, but based in the thing that the world says it should be based. It's, it's based in happiness and it's based in all of these other things that sound good on the surface, but when removed from Jesus and the gospel story, they fall short every single time. And so we put our weight and expectation and hope in these things. And, and I think we carry that type of concern for the way we think about the future hope that we have in the restoration of all things. Okay. And so again, push forward, engage, and realize that everything we look at today, it's just going to happen. Okay. It's actually, it's actually going to happen. Okay. So um, again, the, the first one, we'll go to Revelation 21. So if you want to turn there, we'll start this kind of American view of heaven versus uh, the biblical view of heaven. And as you turn to Revelation 21, let me just say this. I think the, the understanding they often have, and I talk to people when we talk about salvation, is people think, okay, I get saved. And so um, I'm existing, like you have a, like a battle being drawn. The Bible tells us that we are enemies of God before we're, before we're saved. And so you have this picture of God on one side, right, in the, in the good person, protagonist, hero half of the country and then you have a dividing line and over here is the enemy land and what we think is that when we get saved as enemies that Christ comes in grabs us and then brings us back over to the good side that we're no longer in enemy territory the reality of life is you're still in enemy territory Right, that we still exist in a broken world. We don't exist where God exists. We don't exist in this perfection. And so we don't get taken out of and across enemy lines. He comes across enemy lines, saves us, and then leaves you there. Okay, so that, that's, that's where we are at today, is, uh, is, across, or is in enemy territory. Okay? And this, this, this shapes very much our view of heaven. So here we go. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. It says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the traditional American view, okay, is that humanity lifts up to heaven, okay? Right, that we kind of just will float up to heaven at some point. So when we die, you always see depicted in the movies the little spirit guy that floats above the body just kind of slowly floats away while he waves, away, you know, waves to the world or whatever. Okay, so, so traditional Americanists, okay, we're going to go away. The biblical view is, is we see heaven coming down to earth, not humanity going up. We don't see man floating away in Revelation 21. What we see is heaven coming down onto earth, descending upon earth, and that's the reality. Stark contrast from what we normally see and normally understand. So I went ahead and Googled heaven. Okay? So if you Google heaven and then click on images, let's just, it's a smaller crowd, so let's do some interaction. What do you think of, I mean, every single picture had pretty much three things in it. What do you think they were? Clouds, good. Gold? No gold. That'd be nice, though. That was a rainbow. It was a rainbow. Was it? Gates? No, but that should have been there, too. Angels? Last one. Starts with an S. Ends with airs. T in the middle. Stairs. Okay, so every single picture, go and look at it. I promise you, Google Images Heaven. It's clouds, there's a stairway, and then there's gates. Every single one. Clouds, a stairway, and gates. We are going to escape this world, walk up this awkward cloud staircase, get to a gate, and Peter's going to say whether or not you're in. That's the story we get. Okay? That is not the story in the picture that the Bible communicates. Okay? The Bible rather communicates that heaven is not this far off place that we go to, but rather that fact that heaven will descend upon earth and come and be here with us. Okay? Next piece, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And listen, this is one instance that I think where our culture has gotten it right. Now, there's some nuances where I disagree with some of the stuff that's said, but on the whole, our culture would say, no, heaven is this great place that we get to be where there is no pain and there is no crying and there is no suffering and there is no hurting and there is no betrayal and there is on and on and on. There's none of that. It's just beautiful and good and, and, all, and everyone's there. And it's just that part of it. They're pretty right on. But you guys hear what is being said that in the new heaven and in the new earth, there is no tear. Think back on every time you cried a tear this year. Any pain that you experienced this year. Any hurt at the hands of anything in your life. It does not exist. It cannot happen. It's gone forever in this land. All of the stuff. Listen, we live, we live our lives so often in this fear of getting hurt, right? So, so we don't take these risks. We don't take these chances. We're timid with people. We, we, don't, we aren't bold with this. Whatever it may be, we're afraid to take. And it's, it's because, man, we, we get hurt in this world. So we have to be guarded. 
We can't expect too much. We can't hope too much. We can't be too happy because just around the corner is brokenness, is pain. And so how can we hope? In the world that is to come, in the new heaven, none of that is there. None of that is possible. We live completely free. So it's not just that bad stuff will stop happening to you. It's that you can live in total and open freedom to hope and rejoice and sing and dance and praise because none of that is a problem anymore. And what a fantastic, what a fantastic place that is. Um... There's a few things that I want to pray about right now. We're going to stop just for a moment to pray for that. Because there's, we were just talking about this as a team praying before service, but man, you just look across our nation right now and it's just broken. Okay, I mean, just, just really, really broken. And you, you, you watch the news, it's there. You go on Facebook, it's there. You're on Twitter, it's there. You just walk outside, you see a protest, it's there. We had the deaths of Mike Brown, Garner. You had the two police officers in New York City that were murdered last night in retaliation to that. What happened? Another one in Florida this morning. There's just brokenness and hurt and pain. There are families across our country today that, that, that don't have family members that they should have here. There's such fractured pieces of our world right now, of our nation, and it is, it's scary. It's really scary. We're going to pray for that just for a moment. Another thing I want to pray for, and I, I got a, a text from a friend this morning, and I asked if we could pray for him corporately. His name's Chet Green. He's a former football coach over at Flagstaff High School, a guy that was kind of, we got to know pretty well when we first moved up here. But his wife, Kenya, was... Uh, diagnosed with neuroendocrine cancer in September and, and essentially went down to Gilbert, is back up in Flagstaff, and they've kind of brought her back up here uh, essentially to die. Okay. And so they're at home right now. And so I said that we would pray for them as a church this morning. And so I want to pray for the brokenness that we see in our world. And, and you guys are watching, you're seeing the same stuff, and I want to pray for Kenya this morning. And we're going to do that, and we'll get back into this. And I want us to remember as we pray that there's a day coming where we don't have to pray for this stuff anymore. Where all the brokenness, all the death that you've been surrounded by your whole life, friends, family, whatever it is, there's a day where we won't have to pray for this because it just won't exist. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we lift up our nation to you. God, we are uh, clearly unable to figure out this mess ourselves. There are good people on every side of every debate, it seems. And in the midst of it, there's people that are getting hurt. There's people that are dying. There are many tears being shed. God, and it just does not look like it's getting better. It does indeed look hopeless. And so, Lord, we pray that you could restore hope. I pray that it's founded in the hope that is to come. It's founded also in the reality of the present kingdom that is here. Would you rally the church in our nation to be the church, to pray fervently, 
to seek your face, to seek your guidance, to seek your wisdom, to love community and neighbor well. God, that we be proactive rather than reactive. Lord, would you heal hearts? Would you heal our nation? God, we pray for Kenya this morning. And God, I, you know, I cannot imagine what Chet's going through and their daughters are going through. And so, Lord, we just pray, we pray your healing touch. You are, you're not too far away to heal. You're more than powerful. You're more than capable. God, if this is the time where you wish to just flaunt that, we pray for it and we ask for it. God, would you heal? Would all cancer be removed from her body? Would every growth be removed from her body? God, would there be much rejoicing in the house of God? Lord, we're also reminded at this time that we are not just blessed when good things are happening, but we are blessed because of the reality of you. And so God, I pray for Chet and his family, God, that they would, even in the midst of this experience, blessing because of you, because you draw near to the brokenhearted, that you save those that are crushed in spirit. So God, would you just be with that family and whatever that looks like for you to draw close. In any way they experience you, would they experience you in deep, profound ways? And would Kenya be at peace, whatever the outcome, because she is moving to this place where that pain, where those tears, where that fear is no longer... Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Never again, when we get to Revelation 21, never again do we pray that prayer. Never again do you sit in a room crying with your husband or wife. Never again do you not make a decision out of fear, insecurity, hopelessness. Never again do we hear about another person committing suicide out of depression. It doesn't exist. That is what he's doing. That is where we're going. Let's not lose sight of that. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I love this. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. The traditional American view is that heaven is a perfect new creation, right? So you always, that God's, okay, he's, he's gone. He's going to prepare this place and it's going to, it's just going to be the bomb, right? It's got everything and all the best food and all, and that's probably, some of that is probably true, but he, it's not that he's going to create everything new. It says, rather, that he's going to take all of the existing things and make them new. Okay. The traditional American story says that heaven is a perfect new creation. The biblical view is that heaven is a restored creation right here. So he's going to take everything that is here now, even the junk, even the stuff that we would look at and say, that is irredeemable, that is disgusting. That's, he's going to take that somehow and he's going to redeem that too for his glory. Because that's what he does. He takes brokenness and he creates beauty. He takes this fractured world and he creates a perfect one. Not out of nothing, but out of what is already here. Renewing it, restoring it to the way it was intended to be. We see some beautiful pictures of this throughout the Old Testament. 
um, but one of the ones I, I love and, uh, is in Isaiah 60, in a prophecy of the end times, in a prophecy of where we're headed. We see these two items show up that I think are somewhat peculiar. One is the ships of Tarshish, which is tough to say, and the other one are the cedars of Lebanon. And I'd like to have credit that I found this out, but this is a Keller thing. If you guys know Keller, this is brilliant. But the cedars of Lebanon and the ships of Tarshish, throughout the Old Testament, throughout history, if you go and study some of those things, you'll find out that they were used oftentimes for very poor means and means that exploited people, that caused the segregation of people, caused the pushing down of people, caused the death of people, on and on. It was not, they were not always used for good purposes. And what I love about what we see in Isaiah 60 is that God takes these things, things that people during that time would have looked at and said, I hate the ships of Tarshish because of what they're doing, what they're carrying, and how they're exploiting the people because of it. I hate the cedars of Lebanon and what that's doing for the trade and what that's doing to people. And so they look at these things and say, these are bad things, but in the kingdom of God, God ushers them in, redeems them, and uses them for His glory. Is that not the beautiful, perfect story of humanity? That each and every one of us were broken. We were outside, enemies, not worthy, doing evil. I mean, Romans 1, right? We created new evil. And yet he redeems and restores and brings us back in because of Jesus. Because of this king that advented, that came, that inaugurated this kingdom, because of this king Jesus who we spoke about for the last three weeks. Another beautiful picture that I think gives us the most clear picture, at least for me, for what the new heavens and the new earth will look like is the tree of life. So in Genesis 2, you see God and you see, you see Moses talking about the tree of life. It's in, the, it's in the garden and it's there and it's beautiful and it's just all this stuff. We also see then the tree of life appear again in Revelation 22. So that streams will flow beside the tree of life. That the city will be built around the tree of life. And so what we see is this same tree that is hidden in Genesis chapter 3. Okay? all of a sudden reappear in Revelation 22. So again, it's not this far-off sky city where we're walking on clouds. Instead, it is what Eden was supposed to become. It's what Eden would have become if not for our sin, if not for our brokenness, if not for our disobedience. It's the beautiful, restored creation. It's what God intended for this world to be the perfect, beautiful God. What He intended for the world to be is what it will be. God is good. He is powerful. And He restores. He's taken all of the junk and He's going to mold it. He's going to redeem it. And He's going to put it back into this perfect kingdom. That was the original intention from the beginning. I love that. I love that. You see, what God does is he does he not only does he leave us in enemy lines, because I think the next thing when we go back to the enemy lines analogy is okay, well, okay, I'll, I'll buy that. Like God leaves us in enemy lines because we still live in a broken world. He didn't pull us back into heaven, but one day he will, right? 
So he saved us, right? He liberated us, but we're still in enemy territory. But one day he's going to come get us and then drag us back, right, into the Holy Land, into the Promised Land. No, he says, I'm going to come in, I'm going to invade. And the Revelation story is beautiful on that, man. I'm going to invade and I'm going to come and then I'm not going to pull you back. I'm just going to change everything in your land. Again, all the brokenness and all the pain that we experience and we see and that we read, gone. Restored, redeemed, and a perfect new heaven and new earth. Verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. I love this. These, these, these amazing words. It is done, right? Jesus on the cross, it is finished. But we have at the end of time, it is done. Finally. All completed. It is done. It is finished. And just, just think about every moment over all of cosmic history that has culminated in this moment in Revelation 21 as Jesus proclaims, it is done. All the hope, all the anticipation, all the expectation, finally it's here. The new heavens, the new earth. No more pain, no more crying, none of that. It's arrived. I immediately went to thinking about just, you know, pregnancy. I mean, there's all this hope and this expectation of this baby and then you, and then you go through and you got these nine months and, and, and listen, there's some months that are just pretty tough and, and I'm the guy so I mean, you can only imagine, right? And then you go to the labor and then you have this labor and you have to push out a human, okay? And you get to the end and I remember the moment that, that Finley came out and, you know, he was just gross but adorable and, and, and you're just like, man, it's, I remember looking at V and just being like, you did it. You did it. It's done. It's finished. He's out. He's here. The sun has arrived. And he's ours. And I, I think of this expectation we are to have for where this is going, for what's promised to us. And, and I, can't, I can't, when he arrives, will that be that same joy, that same expectation? He's here. We did it. We made it. He's here. And he's going to set things right. He's going to set things right. You see, it is, it is because of the king that any of this is possible. That any of this makes sense. It's because of this king. The traditional American view says, says that heaven is the prize. Okay? That heaven itself is the prize. So it's, it, it, it's, it is the lack of pain. It is kind of the, the best food ever. It's all this stuff. And, and let me tell you, that stuff sounds great. The Bible, from start to finish, seems to tell us that the prize is God himself. That the prize is Jesus. Hmm. Sorry. The prize is a king, guys. That rules perfectly. That makes every right decision. That is perfectly just and yet perfectly compassionate. That he comes with truth, but he comes with grace in equal measure, just right. 
The prize is Jesus. It's this king that will do these amazing things. Isaiah 11, 1 through 9 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and the little child shall lead them. Write that imagery. (laughs) A little child is hanging out with a lion. No big deal. Hey, lion. I'm taking a nap. Right? Beautiful. That, that's what happens underneath the lordship of this king. All are welcome. All come in. All the pain. All the, all the years and years of historic and often some systemic injustices taken away. And we all come together underneath this king's rule. Okay. I remember I was in Bali one time and, uh, and I saw this t-shirt and I told you guys this before I saw this t-shirt and on the t-shirt was a picture of Barack Obama President Obama and around his head was a crown of thorns he had been kind of deified right? he had been exalted up to this kind of savior status okay? he's going to heal America okay? and this is not a commentary on President Obama what it is is just he's a man and it doesn't stand a chance the Savior of the world came 2,000 years ago and He's coming again and He will set things right because He is this type of King that can actually rule perfectly. Okay. That's who we worship. That's who's coming to get us. I'll land with two last things here. You see, we are, we are hopeless because we still live in a sinful world. And so when we seek to fill those voids of where we want to give hope to, right? when we seek to fill those with other things that are sin-filled, which is everything in our world. So anytime there's something, there's this pain, there's this gap, there's this missing piece in you, and you try and fill it with something that is also just as sinful as you are, it does not work. You remain hopeless because it can never meet the expectation that you place on it. It took something and someone who was sinless to actually restore hope to this world. And this is what our nation needs. This is what we need as individuals. This is what the city of Flagstaff needs. More than anything else, more than every self-help book or Oprah channel you can watch, what the world needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The story of love come down. The story of a God who advented, who came and became one of us. And as one of us lived a life we could never dream of living, that perfect life that we couldn't do on our own and then died the death in our place, that, that's what the world needs. So the question for us today is, do we know that King? 
do you know that king? And I'm not saying just on a, I mean, do you, are you a Christian or not a Christian? I mean, like, do you know him? Are you getting to know more about Jesus, about this king who rules in such a way? Because I think we sometimes have a hard time believing this hope is reality because who in the world could ever rule that way? Jesus. Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? Christian or non-Christian, wherever you're at today, ask yourself that question. Okay. I want to land with this, uh, this quote by C.S. Lewis from the book The Last Battle, which is the culmination of the Chronicles of Narnia series. And, uh, and it's, just, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful text and I think sums up perfectly for us what this means for us now. How do we live in this world now? How do we help exemplify and show and foreshadow the coming kingdom that will be pretty amazing. Okay. He says this. He said, perhaps you will get some idea of it if you think like this. You may have been in a room which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among the mountains. And in the wall of that room opposite to the glass, there may have been a looking glass. And the sea in the mirror, the valley in the mirror, were in one sense just the same as the actual real ones. Yet at the same, how, same time, they were somehow different, deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story. In a story you've never heard, but very much want to know. The difference between old Narnia and new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked like it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia so much is because it looked a little like this. Come further up, come further in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Just, we need you. We need you bad. It's saddening and disheartening to see the state of things, not just around our country, in our own city, amongst friends. We look back on, on 2014 and there's certainly across this room today and across everyone part of redemption, across everyone in this world, they look back on this year and they're going to find things that hurt. They're going to find moments of brokenness. So God, when you tell us that there's, there's something coming where none of that is in the picture anymore, I, I'll be honest, it, it's hard to fully get what that looks like. So Lord, I, I just want to ask for a glimpse of it here in this place right now. God, that we as a church, as people who have come to, to just hear from your word, to sing songs. 
God, that we would just be a shadow, we'd be a piece, we'd be a, just a glimpse of what is to come. Of a people here united by Christ, unified because of His grace and His blood. God, would you give us visions of what the future holds that we might be part of bringing heaven here as much as we can now to living those type of lives that we will live then, that we will live now. God, make us more like Christ and let us see you. In this place, will we reflect Revelation 7 9? God, will we be a group of people of every tribe and nation and tongue? all singing and proclaiming your greatness, that salvation belongs to you, that you are good, that you are faithful. God, we celebrate you during this Advent season because you came before and you're coming again. God, if there are any here that feel hopeless, whether it be personal circumstances or circumstances outside, God, would you fill them with hope from the presence of the Holy Spirit? in the reality of the future destination, in the reality that kingdom has already begun here. This is not a kingdom far off and far away that we don't experience. God, there is so many aspects right now where your kingdom has begun right here. God, might we celebrate them, acknowledge them, and live in them as a church and as individuals this morning. Thank you for the taste that we do get for where you're taking humanity. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so now, as always, we just want to take about a minute or two to just sit and reflect on the Word of God. And, and sometimes we pose a question, sometimes we don't. I, I would just love for you guys to just to be honest with your own hearts. You know, wrestle through hope. And then think of, think of what He's doing. Think of this world minus all the brokenness and pain. I want you to rejoice. I want you to celebrate. And we come back out, we start singing, and we're doing all the other response stuff, man. I sing and rejoice and praise because, man, he, he's taken he's taken all the pain away. Let's do it now.